Our first job as leaders is to love people. Our capacity and commitment to love others is our most important leadership quality. 3x5 Leadership. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 53 of Intentional Leader, where we help you lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I believe that each of us have a unique contribution to make to the world or to our sphere of influence, and I hope that this podcast can be a community to help you stay focused, to find inspiration. We release a new episode every two weeks, and today I'm very excited to share my conversation with Josh Bowen. He is the founder of 3x5 Leadership, an incredible platform for leadership development. As you'll see during our conversation, Josh is genuinely passionate about making people and organizations better through leader development. His website has over 330,000 visits and impacts over 8,000 leaders on a consistent basis. Josh is a graduate of West Point and earned his master's in organizational psychology and leadership from Columbia University. He's also a member of the 2020 DOD Reads Board of Advisors and a co-host of the DOD Reads podcast. He's a husband, father, and active duty army officer, and we are privileged to have him on the show today. On this episode, we talk about his passion for leadership development, how 3x5 leadership started from humble beginnings, his process for reflection and capturing lessons, some of his crucible leadership moments, feedback, and his favorite books, and much more. For show notes, go to calwalters.me, where you'll find links to the books that he mentions and to 3x5 leadership material that we discuss during this episode. One final note, during this episode, we use the word TAC or TAC officer, referring to what he did at West Point or does at West Point. After editing the episode, I realized that that doesn't make sense to a lot of people that aren't familiar with West Point. Basically, a TAC officer or a TAC is someone who mentors and leads a group of cadets at West Point, the United States Military Academy. Typically, about 120 plus cadets will be in a company and they have an active duty tactical officer who mentors them, who helps them through the process of West Point, helps them process that experience really does a lot of leadership development, and that's what Josh does at West Point. And so if you hear us talk about attack or attack officer, that's what we are referring to. I wanted to clear that up. Uh, also, hey, it's the end of the year. It's the end of 2020, and I just encourage you to take these next several weeks to process this year. Take this, take this time, these next several weeks, to think, to reflect, to journal, and really get ready for the new year. We've got a lot of fun and awesome things on this podcast fired up for 2021. We're going to talk about goal setting in the new year. We've got some incredible guests that we've already recorded that we'll be releasing, and I could not be more excited. And I just want to thank you for your support throughout this entire year. I know this year has not turned out like any of us thought, but uh, it's been so fun for me to engage with you, to learn with you, to grow with you. I hope that this has been a platform that has helped your 2020 get better. And I've just loved the relationship that I've been able to build with many of you. And let's keep that going. 
I also just want to thank all of you that have taken the time to share this podcast with friends, with your network, who have taken the time to rate or review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're at 95 reviews right now. The next episode, actually, that we're going to be releasing is on Tuesday, January 5th. So from now, which is December 8th, until the new year, we're going to take a break. But we will be back and ready to roll in January 2021. We're excited. So much great content. People that have been generous with their time to come on the podcast. And I'm excited to put those in front of you. So without any further ado, please enjoy this interview with Josh Bowen. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cal. Appreciate it, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to sit here and uh, be able to talk with you a little bit. Well, you are someone who is having a really big impact in the realm of leadership, and it's really cool to sit here and chat with you and nerd out about leadership for a little while. You're clearly passionate about it. Uh, You are passionate about leadership itself, leadership development. You're a tactical officer at West Point right now. I'd love to ask maybe kind of peel back the clock a little bit and ask you about where that comes from for you. Where does your passion for leadership come from? Oh man. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Cause like I'm an engineer officer, man, and I've, I'm a degreed engineer. And so like, where, where does this come from? Right. I had some challenging experiences early on in my Lieutenant years where I, I just did not have a lot of, I think good like leadership role models. Right. I just didn't have any officers and CEOs or just kind of anybody I'm working with that really, inspired me um, and served as those personal role models. And I, I think in my immaturity back then, I, I was kind of very, I was just like a victim of my circumstances back then and then kind of disenfranchised with the army to a degree. And so I, going to Cam's career course actually back in 2013 now, that was the first time I think I really like interacted with some, some people and some leaders. I was just like, that really cared about other people. And then in a way, just like deliberately poured into me um, in my development. And that was just like a breath of fresh air that I just felt like I hadn't experienced almost ever uh, before that um, in, my, in my military career. And so I think getting to that or experiencing that for the first time really just was that, that, that trigger um, or that spark that just got me really thinking like, I mean, it is people, right? And um, and not to get to cliche, but I mean, it's the people business, right? And so I think I've come to this thought process or attitude really where if, I, if I'm not pouring into people, uh, I, I don't feel like I'm doing my job, right? And I can, I can accomplish all the tasks, all the missions um, and get achieved maybe so many things, but I, I just, I don't feel, none of that compares, I think, to the feeling that I get and just really just kind of inspiring people and maybe changing a little lives. I'm not saying I do that by any means, but I just, I love people and I love trying to make people better to include myself. And so I think that's kind of where it came from. That's awesome. Yeah. I love hearing you describe it. It's, it's all about people. I think for me, I went to West Point, just like you went through that experience. There's a lot of focus on leadership at West Point. So you kind of start to, at least for me, I started to appreciate leadership but I'm a little bit like you and that a little bit later in my army career, I had this light bulb moment of like, Mm -hmm. wow, leadership really is what moves the needle. I mean, it is really the difference between a great team becoming even better or a great team becoming worse, accomplishing the mission. It's amazing how it can elevate people's performance, people's desire, all that stuff. So it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you kind of that, that evolution in your mind 
And now you've started, or you've not started, 3 by 5 leadership is huge. You've had, I think, over 250,000 visits to your website, which is incredible. Tell us about starting 3 by 5 leadership and how that came about. Oh, man. Yeah, good. Uh, good question, Cal. Uh, I, I appreciate how you kind of I make it sound so professional and uh, it's popular uh, with that. Just if, but if I think really people see behind the scenes of what it is me writing, writing on a word document at 4am on a Saturday, just cause like that's the time that I get to do it. Maybe I wouldn't be so impressed. I think by the <laughs> operations that are, that are three by five. Yeah. So how did that start? Uh, the, the triggering event for me. So I was, uh, I commanded in, Fort Carson, Colorado. And I, I, I think I'll, I'll be probably referencing a little bit later um, in one of the later questions, but um, I had the great opportunity to work under uh, now Brigadier General Dave Hodney, who was my brigade commander then. And I just remember there was this one day where he had a, a leader development kind of lunch session with all the company commanders. And he started bringing up like, hey, there's this website called From the Green Notebook uh, written by, you know, by uh, Joe Byerly, who Joe was a, a battalion uh, he was squadron uh, XO in our brigade at the time. So that's kind of why I was relevant when he was talking about it. So, uh, and I, I was just like, what is this? And he, and so then Colonel Hadi was kind of expanding on it and just kind of talking about it as a resource and some of the things that were coming out of it and how it's helping it. Well, and so I, I went home that day and reported the website and like, I, it just was like one of those moments where I'm like, Oh my gosh. And just kind of like the floodgates of, of knowledge and, and inspiration for me just kind of opened up. I'm like, there, this is like a whole new world where people are like actually writing about some of these things that I'm feeling mm-hmm. and like just kind of and, and owning it, putting it out there themselves. Um, and then I, I think putting language to some stuff that I've been feeling and even experiencing as a, a new commander at the time. Um, but I, th- I think that just kind of like opened my eyes to just this whole new thing that it was just was never, I never even knew about. So I, I fall, I, I, I think I'm in a matter of like weeks. Cause I think by that time, Joe Byerly had been doing that, that his blog uh, for about three years then. Um, and I think about it in like less than two weeks, I read like every single blog article on that website. And then of course from there, I'm just learning about the whole community that, that that had. And I started thinking, I was like, man, I, f- I feel like I'm learning a lot in command and I'm, I think this could be a great way for not only for me to kind of clarify some of the stuff that I'm learning, but um, maybe to share it too. And I, I just kind of one of those questions And I, to this day, I can't even really tell you like why I ended up doing it, but I just had this idea or this thought, like, I think I could do this too. And so I, 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 I didn't start immediately. I waited until after command. So that was probably in the fall of 2015. Um, but I didn't start I didn't actually create the website until um, like December of 2016. But yeah, so I just kind of started and I just started writing some things that I thought I was learning and experiencing primarily coming out of company command. And obviously I'm very, very, very humble beginnings where I think at the time, the only people reading my stuff initially were my my mom, my dad, and (laughs) my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, Lindsay. But yeah, so I think it it was kind of an attempt of to help other people. But honestly, Cal, I think the greatest benefit that's come out of this website is it's just for me, to be honest, this is, this is my, my platform for reflection where I have something to produce. And because of that, I think it's enabled me to have a much more awareness for and an eye for just what I'm learning from every event. Right. And while it might kind of sound a little petty, but like I, I view everything like, Hey, could this be a blog article? And while it kind of maybe sounds a little dumb, like what that's my, 
I think my mechanism for me to think on like, what am I learning in this moment or from this experience or whatever it is. Um, and then by creating, I, I, did, I did write an article about this actually, but like what the blog provides me is an opportunity for to like very deliberately reflect where um, I, I, I'm thinking on like, Hey, what does this mean to me? Okay. So let's, let's capture on a paper and let's do so in a way that I have to, it has to be clear for somebody else like you to read it and make and to understand it, which helps me, I think, make the, the, the reflection, the thought, the learning, the lessons super clear too. Um, but then I think the, the publishing aspect of that, um, what that does for me versus just keeping it in my journal or something like that is uh, maybe a mechanism for accountability for me, right? If I, I put it out there, um, maybe if, if I got a few people to read it, I'm not saying I want this to happen, obviously, but maybe maybe down the road, I, I have somebody that comes up to me and is like, hey, sir, hey, Josh, um, I saw you wrote about this a while ago, and I'm kind of wondering what that means to you because maybe I, I don't I don't see it right now or, or whatever. That, that could be like, oh, shoot. you know. So uh, maybe it's just a good mechanism for accountability to me and my own leadership um, because of the ability for me to publish it out. So I, I think that's kind of the why and the how initially. Um, but yeah, we, we how, probably at about three and a half years into it now I'm trying to figure it out day to day, just kind of what I want to do with it. And, but if nothing else, I mean, it's absolutely a great hobby of mine that I, I really enjoy spending time on. I always like to ask people that have really created something cool like this. I mean, this is really neat. You've done this three and a half years about the process of starting because it's, it's easy to see something now that you've created and say, Oh, that was so easy to create. You know, he's, it's always been this smashing success, but if you kind of go back to when you started, do, do you remember anything that, did you have fear? Did you have doubt? Did you have worry? Were there any, any kind of any impediments or things you had to get over in order to start? And then you can also tell us a little bit about maybe what you've learned about building something. Cause I think that the day in and day out of dealing with fears and concerns and, and being consistent worrying about feedback that you're getting from people. What have you learned? I guess going back to, I guess it's kind of a two-part question, but what would you tell us about starting? And then what have you learned perhaps throughout this process of just about being consistent, building a brand, all of those things that it requires to build something as successful as you have over the course of three and a half years. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, those are great questions, Cal. I, I, I think one th- I had no idea what I was doing when I built this thing, right? I, I paid the $2 a month to have a, a WordPress um, domain. And I, I don't know a single thing about building a website or coding or let alone blogging. Um, Did you ever almost not do it? I, I was, I mean, for me personally, I was pretty committed. Okay. Um, but I think there was also, there was some like just safety in it for me, like psychologically, because I, I knew up front, like nobody's going to be reading this. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people like, Hey, I'm going to build it and they will come expectation. Right. And I, for some reason I kind of maybe knew like, I, I just, nobody's going to be reading this up front. And so I, I knew that I probably have time to kind of maybe build hmm. and build the, the plane as I'm flying it. Right. And I've, I've done that. And I'm still doing that. But I, I think starting it is, I mean, just kind of figuring out why, right? Where I just talked about, like, I've eventually come to the point where I'm really clear and comfortable and confident with my why on why I write this. And while I do very much value and enjoy and love the, the what I can hopefully provide for others, 
Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's also a selfish endeavor for me, for my reflection, right? But I, I don't think I was super clear on why I was building this, this platform, this brand up front. And I, I think because of that, I didn't really know where I was going um, for the first, maybe even fully like two, two years. Or mm. Sometimes there was just kind of no purpose behind some of the things I was pumping out or in terms of the products or the, 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 the uh, blogs I was pushing out there. Um, so sometimes I just felt like pressures to put something out there rather than like, Hey, no, this is actually important to me. And this is why, because of that, I can look back on maybe some of the stuff I wrote two years ago and I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> but so I guess in terms of building something, I think it's before you just not putting the, the carriage before the horse, obviously. And like, I gotta, I gotta build the website. I gotta make it look so super pretty and, and start putting things out there for people to read. Like, like we gotta, we gotta stop. What are we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? Let's get super clear on that. And then from there, I think we can move forward, obviously, with our, with our strategy, with the building of the platform. Um, but another thing I've really learned and I still struggle with since then is I, I think owning this through a lot of repetition and building it and doing this for a couple of years now, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable writing something and something, some very some personal thoughts sometimes or ones that I might not necessarily know how people are going to receive I'm comfortable putting it out there in a written platform. Uh, I think that's pretty natural for me. I, I'm not saying I'm a good r- writer by any means, but I know that I'm better at writing than I am articulating or speaking. Hence why I write a blog and not my own podcast. But what I still struggle with and what I think this opportunity is helping me to kind of work on is just my ownership of things and, and, and who I am and, and what I care about and why I do things. Um, I, I very much still struggle with being known as creator three by five, right? Especially with people that I work with, I don't put it out there by any means. I don't say, Hey, I'm Josh Bowen three by five leadership as much as my, many of my friends will, will tease me about it. But when, when people, even my bosses or, or peers or anybody kind of learns about it in one way or another, I, I get very sheepish mm. about it when I'm interacting with them, to be honest. And that's something I'm still struggling with. My wife is probably the person best in my life to help me with that and encouraging me to kind of own it. She's super proud of me and I'm thankful for her every single day. But yeah, that's that's just something that I've been working on still to this day is um, just owning something that I'm passionate about, and I, I don't know if I'm necessarily doing it well enough, but like you know what, I'm put, I'm here, I am. This is what I'm doing. I'm putting it out there. Take it or leave it, kind of thing. That's so cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. And just to follow up on that, you're you're definitely a great writer, and I think you're a great speaker <laughs> as well. So um, <laughs> I appreciate that. So where does the name Three by Five come from? Oh, yeah, good question. So I'm an army brat myself. I'm one of those people, second generation, like West Point grad and an army brat. So my dad, that was just always a habit of his. Like there's, if there's one thing I knew about my dad, and I, I respect him for so, so, so many things. He's taught me so many more things beyond this, obviously in my life. But there's one thing I always knew about my dad. It's that he always had uh, three by five index cards, like on him, on his physical person at all times, whether it's like in uniform, going to or coming from work. If we were going to church on Sunday in his in his Bible, I always knew there's a stack of three by five cards. Like he always just had index cards, and I never asked him about them. I don't think really growing up, but I, I just I knew that was that was a safe assumption that he always had them. But I would always watch that he would take just write random things on them and then keep them. And you could see like on his stack of index cards, like he had on the top were like all of his blank ones, but below that were like ones that he had filled out and and stuff. And I mean, he was he was the speechwriter for the uh, three core commander many, 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 many years ago for a while. And back when he was a major and I mean, he wrote in the speeches because for general Schwartz, I think 
he'd write those speeches on index cards for him too. And so, I mean, he just kind of lived by index cards and it was just kind of his mechanism. And here I am after graduation from West Point, not even like a conscious thought um, doing the exact same thing. So I've spent many years of my own career just carrying index cards with me. And so I, I call it three by five because of the three inch by five inch index card. Because like I, I just use that as my go-to like learning tool of of choice, right? Kind of similar to what I was talking about. Like I'm always viewing moments or experiences as like, hey, could this turn into something I could write about, both for reflection and for sharing for others. I'm always viewing any moment that I have as just as a learning opportunity. Um, and so keeping three by five cards on me at all times is my way to ensure that I can always record a lesson, an idea, or a thought just in any moment. And so while I, I think the, the three by five card is a learned habit from, from my dad and then something that's inherent to me, uh, I think using just kind of a, a leader learning tool is universal for anybody. And I'm not saying that, hey, go use the index cards by any means, but I, I want to ensure people do commit to maybe a simple preferred tool, whether it is a green notebook or a tablet or a notepad or whatever it is, it's just like you have some sort of mechanism to continuously learn and capture what you're learning both as a professional, as a leader. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think all of us listening, just a couple, some observations that I'm picking up as you're talking is one, maybe this blog, and I don't know if you were like this before, but you are clearly a student of life. Mm. You have everything. It seems to me you're looking and reflecting, okay, what can I learn from this? And I think that's a great lesson that all of us can take away from this. And this practical tool of three by five, it's okay. It's one thing to be a student of life. The next question is, okay, how do I record these lessons that I'm learning on a daily basis. Sometimes I get frustrated by that as I, I'm inspired one moment I hear a podcast or I'm listening to a speech or I'm reading a book and it's like, oh, how do I record this moment of inspiration? For me, I have a little notes uh, section on my phone that I record it, but that's not a perfect method. But I, I love this idea of having some way of in that moment, as you're being a student of life, recording your observations, whether it's about just, hey, how can I be better? As a person, how can I be better as a parent, a spouse, or as a leader? I love that, man. I think that's a great lesson that we can all pull away from. So, yeah, and, I, and we could talk more about reflection. I mean, I could probably spend the rest of this podcast talking about just reflection. And I think what you were just talking about is getting to some of those like very like, more sciencey mechanics of of the value of how do I do that? How am I gleaning these lessons? Because um, it's one thing like maybe read a book or have an experience and write that thought down. The next thing is, like, okay, so what are you doing about that, mm. right? How are you taking that and translating it into future attitudes, future behavior, future habits? And I think the issue that a lot of us have with reflection is that we leave it at this like very nebulous, abstract yeah. concept, right? Where I'm like, I, I don't think we fully understand, like, what does this look like in my actual behavior, and so that's, again, something I've written about, but I'm also pretty passionate about is like, okay, so how do I take this concept of reflection, bridge that gap to what am I doing about it in the future and how am I improving both myself, my effectiveness, my leadership, whatever it is. And so it's just getting into some of the more like very process mechanics of, okay, so like, are you consolidating your notes? Like you might be jotting, highlighting a lot of stuff in your book and jotting notes in the book you're reading right now. What happens when you're done with that book? Or, hey, I did write something on my index card. Does, does that just live on my desk or live in a shoebox in the closet for the next couple of years? Or do I have my own personal systems or ways of, of translating that into something that's changing in, in my life, both as a leader, a man, whatever it is? So, yeah. 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 I think about John Maxwell saying that 
it's one thing just to have experience, but when you reflect, you turn that experience into insight. And I interviewed Ryan Hawk, who has the Learning Leader Show a little while ago, and he talks about this system that he has of, of learning, reflecting, testing, and teaching. And it's all kind of a four-step process, but it really, to your point, it's this idea of taking these lessons that we have in life, reflecting on them, testing them, mm. learning from them, and then Wait, also another thing of what you do is you teach and there's, there's beauty in teaching. I think it, not only does it help clarify your own points, but now you're sharing it. You're getting feedback on these ideas from other people, other perspectives. So I love that, man. I want to ask you as you, another maybe question about reflection, reflecting back on your leadership, have there been any crucible moments for you that have really shaped the way you lead? Hmm. Yes. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> Long yeah, side. So the, yeah. The, the, I mean, the thing I think that's important to consider about crucibles is I think we all view these crucibles as like some crazy event that like Lifetime is going to pay me money to make a movie out of, right? That's going to be the tearjerker just to bring the audience to, um, just to this like new emotional state. But I, I don't think that's really what crucible events always are for us, right? I, I look at what I would probably define as some crucible moments in my own life. And like when you actually think about them in the grand scheme of things, like they're not these things that I'm going to like gather the grandkids around and tell these great stories that are going to be super, super compelling. Um, because like, I think if I, like if I told you some stories, just some of my own crucibles, I think you and the audience, when you're listening to some of them, are going to be like, okay, what, why, why is that such a big deal? And I, so I think the thing about crucible events is I think they have to be impactful to us and create like an altered sense of our identity for us while being like in planned and tense and traumatic. Absolutely. But like, I think you and I could experience the exact same thing, but it could be very traumatic and kind of intense for me because that's it's really having a major impact on my identity versus you, Cal, if you went through the exact same event, um, it might not have been as relevant for you. And so I, I think that's kind of the nature of, crucibles that a lot of us don't think of is like they, there's not like a universal level of trauma that has to occur with them um it's a great it, point it has to be i think personally relevant right and so um man i, I let's i'm starting as early as i can as like a young adult I'm, I'm i'm looking at events where like senior year in high school i'm a in on my uh swim team's medley relay re, um uh, team at the state championships right and i I, after swimming thousands of miles in those four years in that cr critical moment, like I missed the flip turn too far away from the wall. Don't push off the wall. And we end up not getting in the, like getting on the podium because of that. Right. Like mm -hmm. we all looked like, okay, so that was high school that was back in 2006. doesn't really matter now. Right. But it still it resonates with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, or I mean, maybe relevant for you with West Point stuff. Like, I was seeing her squad leader my senior year, and having to, we were, I was in charge of my my team for our the shooting range comp, competition to start the the whole thing off, and my team just like was abysmal at the range. It was because of me. It was because of my failure in leadership and providing I mean, purpose, direction, motivation, all the kind of things at the range. Um, and we ended up coming out of that shoot the the range portion of the competition at dead last the very first event of Sandhurst, right? And having to spend the next 24 hours trying to dig ourselves out of a hole that I built for my team. Um, and there was a lot of shame tied to that back then because, I mean, that was a huge part of my identity. 
anyway, so like some of the, and I share maybe some of these really small ones because, because I want them to kind of maybe come off as insignificant to other people, but like, it doesn't mean it wasn't insignificant to me and kind of making me the leader and the man that I am today. So, and I think for just leaders in general, I think it's really important to kind of understand that concept and to think about, you know, like understand how we can help others through crucibles, especially if we're not naturally aware of them, right? We might not see that battle going on or we might, um, view that event as very insignificant, but you can never really assume what that did or is what that means to somebody else too. So I think just being super in tune with that uh, is really important as a leader. And I, I think with the crucibles, like it's really tied to like failure. I think for a lot of us, right. I, I, this was a crucible moment in my life because I failed. And while I'm not going to, I don't want to continue to, like, to probably share these, all these sob stories of, of me not doing things well or whatever, but I think talking about failure and owning failure is also really important for leaders too, because I think when we, we talk about like who our role models are and all, and the people that we look up to or have influenced us the most, it's easy to see like, Hey, they just had super successful careers or, or lives or whatever that is. And we, we, we failed to kind of identify any sort of fallacy with them. Um, but I, I think the older and the, we get, the more all of us experience, we all very much see that as far, far, far from the case. And I think if leaders are more willing to talk about and and own failures, I think it makes it safer um, for other people, right? And so while, I mean, failure is absolutely painful, I think it really can provide us a lot of those things, right? By getting reps in to develop that resilience muscle, maybe, um, being able to bounce back from from these, these failures and these crucibles. I think it provides an opportunity for us to like reframe our perspectives on life and encourage us to kind of take that long view of, yeah, I think I'm going to be okay. And then I think also just encouraging us to develop a more like complex self-identity, right? Like this thing that happened to me uh, or this specific role in itself, like it, this does not necessarily define me. Like your failure does not define you. So I, I think it's, it's important. I want to encourage leaders to just both practice and, and find the best ways to process, make sense of, and, and I think eventually own our failures. And like you said, I think you mentioned earlier, just coming back to stories too. I think we can benefit or, or we can help others benefit from our failures by being able to tell that story. And, and then also just enabling us to have that perspective to be able to help people through their failures and their crucibles um, and not using those as defining moments for them either to, for, um, and how we see them. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I think uh, it's interesting to hear you describe one, this idea of a crucible is not necessarily having to be some hugely dramatic event that happens. It can be those daily micro failures, if you want to call them that, or just micro moments. And also, I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable about those moments and how they've shaped you, those failures, as you'd call them. Uh, When I reflect back on my own leadership, it is those failures that really help me learn key things about myself, key things about my leadership, key things about my preparation. And so I, I, I appreciate what you're saying about failure and shifting our mindset about failure knowing that that's part of the process. And I also think as a leader, it's so important to not feel like you have to be perfect. Mm. I think I think so often people would so much rather have a leader that's real than a leader that has to always be right. And I think what you're getting at there is that we're all just trying to get better. We all experience failure. And if we're open and honest about our failures and the lessons that we've learned, it makes us more approachable. And I think we show that failure is a part of the process for every leader. 
it's a part of the process for every single one of us because it's easy to look at someone like you. I'm sure you're a tactical officer now. You've got over a hundred cadets who look up to you and admire you. And I don't know how often you've shared some of these things, but I remember when I was a West Point cadet, it was easy for me to look at some of these officers and think these guys are perfect. Mm. They never, they never mess up. They haven't experienced adversity like me, but when you're willing to share that and help people have this different mindset towards failure, I really think it helps all of us know that that's just a part of the process. Yeah. It's actually really funny you talk about that. Um, kind of with our remote environments right now, kind of isolation environments because of the COVID stuff. I, I got, like you just said, all the cadets, I got 127 cadets kind of spread across almost 48 states right now before we bring them all back to West Point. And while there's a lot of tasks that I kind of do admin and admin wise every single day, I, I'm finding that one of my most important I think things I'm trying to do as a tack is just to continue to maintain community among the cadets, uh, especially within our company, right? And so one of the, it's really kind of weird and odd, but one of the funny things we found that uh, a bunch of the cadets enjoy or have the available availability to is um, like Peloton. Um, so we, yeah. the cadets that have like Pelotons at home with their parents' house or whatever, we, we just kind of do a weekly Peloton challenge. And so we actually get on the screen, we actually use uh, Microsoft Teams actually, but I mean, essentially Zoom to kind of get everybody's faces up on a screen and we can kind of have community while we're trying to see who can outride each other in the Peloton class. But today's session was really weird. We just, in the middle of like a really intense ride, you got cadets are asking me like stories from, from my time as an officer, like, sir, what crazy stuff happened with soldiers? And it's just kind of funny how quickly that turned into me talking Less about just stuff that soldiers have done or, or, or the crazy stories like that or just things that like, hey, I, I messed this up and I really, I don't want to say I necessarily regret it. There might be some regrets of how we behave and stuff, but like, if I could go back and do it again, this is what I would do. And I, I think those are the kind of things that they really appreciate um, as well. Right? They do love the war story. Or I think all of us really appreciate from our, the people that we um respect and look up to i mean great stories of success and 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 war stories but i also i think some of the things that resonate most are those ones were just like like i wasn't okay always okay or i wasn't always on top or winning but like here here's what happened and look at me now and i'm doing okay and i have rebounded and going back to what i said earlier about the perspective and trying to take that long view on things and helping them to kind of see that yeah i'm not going to be defined by my failures maybe kind of just like Captain Bowen or Josh Bowen was or wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Another, this is kind of related. I'd love to ask you about feedback. Uh, you just mm-hmm. recently did, as of the time of this recording, a primer on feedback. It's multi-part. I don't think you're quite finished with it. I think I've only seen three. Are there are all yeah, six been? About three of six done. Plan okay. six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'd love to ask you about some of the key takeaways that you've learn that you could share with us about feedback. That's such an important part, I think, of us filling in those gaps and becoming better leaders and, and really leading ourselves better. Mm. Yeah, Cal, you're, you're, you're definitely, if I had a bunch of my cadets here around me, they would, uh, roll, they would be rolling their eyes so hard uh, just because <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I don't just write about it. I, I've, been make, I've been trying to get this to be something that's super important to them too, but mm. Uh, like with all things and in, in life and leadership and change, um, there's always sometimes some resistance. But uh, when we started doing, like I'll, I'll quote unquote call it, we've been doing the feedback stuff in, in our company with the cadets for this past year, very specifically and deliberately. Uh, one of them kind of came up with the, the quote that we've kind of all owned within at least our, our group of cadets now is just like, 
we always say now it all comes back to feedback because um, when I think about it, like it does, right? I see feedback um, as just like this, the critical foundation for both like individual and, and team development, right? I, I personally like to call it like truth and love. Um, that's kind of how I've been trying to preach it to both my cadets uh, within my, my company, but also through the series uh, where it's like, I got to share some truth about like either what's going on or your performance or, or something you might not be aware about, right? That hard, I need to share that hard truth, but it has to come out of a place of love, right? I love both for you. Like if I'm, if you and I are talking about feedback, Cal, like I want to, I want to share something with you, man, because uh, I love you and I love our team, our organization. And I really want to see both get better. Um, and in order to do that, we just, we, we kind of need to have an honest conversation about something. Uh, the author, Adam Grant, uh, he was on a podcast that I listened to a couple months ago, but he he kind of said the same thing too. He's just like, Hey, when you, when you think about feedback, I got, I, I really can't think of any other way to get better. Right. Um, I really agree. Uh, I think just both like me individually as well as the team. So I, I see it as really both the best as well as the most basic mechanism to improve both our self-awareness um, and closing like that self-awareness gap between maybe where, how I see myself and how others see me as well as just meet mechanisms to create that mutual trust and, and necessary accountability across our team where we can get to the point where it's not so novel, but it's just, this is how we do business. We're, we're a high performing organization. I care about you. I care about this team. This matters. Look, look, this is what we do. And I think the issue is also um, that like, we all say that we want feedback. Um, I might very easy to say like, Hey, give me the feedback. What do you got for me? But then some people are not necessarily self-aware to be able to receive that well, right? We kind of bite back when we, we do receive it with some people sometimes, or we're unable to kind of give it, I think. I think a lot of people, so I, I hard to say this without kind of sounding callous, but like I just think there's so many people that are either just too busy, too scared, or even like though it's not their fault, just uneducated on how to provide, I think, just really relevant, high-quality feedback. It's also really delivered very well. Um, and so unintentionally, I think sometimes we just create like organizational silence where just people across a team can't or won't speak up. And so I think this is a leadership challenge. And you've got you've to set that tone. You've got to set the expectations and then role model it. But then when you also look, I mean, both like let's look in an army context, but I think almost anybody in any sort of organization can kind of see like, let's look at the, the formal feedback loops maybe that exist in our own lives right now at work, right? Where at least I'm looking in the army and I, I see an annual evaluation that I get. And if I'm lucky, I've got a boss who's willing to kind of provide more opportunities for feedback. But the basic expectations are like, I'm, I'm getting a, uh, an evaluation once a year. That's really kind of the only formal mechanism for feedback that I get. Like, if you ask me, like, I'm not saying getting feedback about once a year or even once a quarter is, is probably like pretty sufficient. You know what I'm saying? So there might be other mechanisms where we, we're getting it through either peer value, whatever it is, but most of the time it's very long loops in terms of time, but also like they're usually just top down driven and we don't have any sort of formal mechanisms to kind of provide like across feedback, both from peers as well as like, let's go do some bottom up refinement and feedback too. What do, what do the people have to say? So I, I think the leaders have to both like, I think they have to assume responsibility to create feedback loops for themselves um, as well as opportunities of giving feedback to their people more often too, right? So anyway, just kind of with all of that in my head, I, I wanted to create a platform for others to think about feedback more deliberately and just maybe get a little more educated on it. 
Um, so they could go out and just start practicing it, improving it uh, with those repetitions. So um, like you said, the, just creating a mini series on it, um, calling it the feedback primer. Um, but really, it's just an attempt to just kind of ca- capture everything I've learned about feedback and, and that I think I know um, in a very maybe non-academic sense. And, and that by no means am I an expert, uh, but just trying to offer that to, to other people um, just as a, as a starting point. Um, but I hope it can kind of really both educate and inspire other leaders to, to own this very critical uh, developmental mechanism, both for themselves and, and I think for other people. Yeah, I'll make sure and put links to that in the show notes for this episode. What would you say to the leaders out there who want to give feedback, but maybe don't know how to give feedback? Are there any practical tips you would offer for giving helpful feedback? I, th- I think it, it takes a little bit of education first. Um, and what I mean by that is just like, I don't, you need to take a class or buy some big book that tells you about feedback. I, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of material out there. It's relevant and helpful. And, and a lot of it's also like very applicable too, right? It's not so like high flute and like theory stuff, but just not easily translatable though. So what do I do with this? Uh, I think there is a lot of material out there that you can find just through a simple online search on how to kind of deliver feedback. But I mean, let's just look at the example of, I think maybe, maybe many in the audience would have heard the, the concept of like feedback sandwich, right? Where like, hey, to try to make it more palatable to the person, I'm going to like start off with like a really positive comment about them, kind of butter them up, right? And then, okay, now I'm going to deliver the actual hard feedback I need to live, deliver. And then I'm going to end it still with another positive comment um, to try to end on a good terms. And well, I, I think when you think about it that way, it makes sense. But when you also think about it, like that can be really confusing for me if I'm receiving that, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, so am I doing a good job or am I not? Was this middle thing, like what, what, what does that actually mean? Right. And so while we're, we're very well intentioned, I think sometimes um, we can come off as uh, ineffective in our, in our feedback, right? You give me the feedback sandwich and I'm walking away like, okay, what just happened? So I think I'd, like leaders need to get a, a little educated on just some great mechanisms on how to deliver it. Right. Uh, Both in the moment, but I I think it's all just kind of creating an environment around willing to receive and give feedback. Right. You need to build that psychological safety because I come, I've never talked to you or I've never really had an honest conversation with you. And I just try to sit down and have a hard conversation with all this feedback. I'm going to look at you like, who are you and what are you doing? And kind of like, or maybe more, selfishly I'm like what has given you the authorization to give me this or talk to me like this right so i think just being a leader like, like through your presence through your example through all those things building that psychological safety where you're creating an environment and an attitude across the, the team which is like hey it's, it's okay to talk about this and getting every, it starts with you having a role model, right? And as going back to like Brene Brown's language, like getting in the arena, right? Get in the arena, do it yourself. And then from there, um, you've kind of started the movement. People are willing to follow you um, in that example. How do you think the leader creates a culture of feedback for themselves? So, I, I mean, it's going back to just kind of some, like how are you, how are you creating change in an organization, right? If I want to introduce more quality, robust, and, and, and like actual feedback mechanisms in my organization. I mean, so how do I introduce that? And it's a process, right? You can't just, I, one thing that kind of makes you cringe a little bit are the leaders that, like, hey, what feedback do you got for me? Sir, ma'am, I, I've barely ever talked to you. You don't know who I am. 
I, I don't really know what, where to even start, uh, let alone, I don't know how this is going to go for me as the person providing the feedback. Um, and so I think leaders need to role model at first in see, creating opportunities to get it themselves. And I think you got to start small, right? Rather than bringing people in, okay, so what feedback do you have for me? Okay, where do we start? Uh, let's start with something small, right? After a specific training event, maybe you went, you provided, you gave a lecture, or even after like running a, a meeting, right? Can you ask very specific questions on how did that land, or how did me doing this specific behavior, or me facilitating this event, or, or how did I give the lecture? I think if you started on a smaller scale, people are more comfortable to talk about that specific thing. Mm. And then again, through those repetitions, you're, you're kind of building that mutual trust. Um, and I think over time we're able to kind of have bigger, uh, harder conversations on like, okay, so we need to talk about some self-awareness stuff, Hmm. um, that we've been noticing for weeks, months, years, maybe. Right. So you gotta, you gotta build to that. Um, and again, that, that psychological safety is, um, Seeking it out, role modeling. I I want it, and I'm actually um, seeking it out, but also like receiving it well, right? I I can't. The the biggest I think detriment a leader can do is when somebody's giving you the feedback, and you're like, well, well, let me tell you or give you my perspective on it, and you're kind of like, well, you didn't see this, and so it's invalid. Mm. And from there, if I'm the person off, kind of stepping out in faith and sharing some feedback with you, and like okay, well, that didn't land. Um, <laughs> Not getting now, feedback anymore. Yeah, yeah, right? And now you've kind of set the tone. And so I think there's a difference between like accepting feedback and then internalizing it, right? Where mm. like, I'm always going to accept your feedback. I don't care who you are or what you got to say. Like I am going to listen to you. I'm going to ensure that I understand it. I'm going to validate it. I'm going to appreciate it mm. and actually show appreciation for you giving it but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to internalize it, right? I'm, I'm going to go through my own reflection process uh, and whatever that looks like for me personally and figuring out like, Hey, is this valid? Um, and if it is, okay, so what do I need to do about it? Cause like sometimes just because people are giving us feedback doesn't necessarily mean it's valid or, or legitimate. And so I think going through a, a, a robust, but still sufficient kind of personal processing and reflection time after that, figuring out like, yeah, this is probably something I need to pursue further and, and work on or, yeah, I, I get his or her kind of perspective, but um, there are just things they didn't say. But I, I, I'm going to take it. I'm always going to take it and appreciate them because you, you have a responsibility, again, to foster and cultivate that willingness for people to, to give and to receive it. Do you owe it to that person to explain to them if you don't take that feedback? Because I think that's sometimes a deterrent for people I'm worried if I ask someone for feedback, they give me feedback, I don't follow it. Well, that's going to affect the relationship. Mm. Yeah. And like, uh, I don't think there's a blanket answer to that. I mean, that, that's absolutely a challenge, right? I, if I give you the feedback and even if you are saying like, I appreciate that acknowledged, um, but I don't see any change in behavior, right? Then that's a whole, it's a different ball game. And that, that's still impacting then my perceptions on what all of this means and on the, um, the, the foundational aspects of, of accountability across the team. Right. Um, but I think it's a very case by case basis, maybe, and just kind of the nature of your relationship with that person. Right. I, I as a tack right now, I, I, one way I try to preach and not preach, I, one way I try to live out feedback and being willing to receive it is, um, 
I did, I started doing things this year where I'd counsel, I'd have like a very specific uh, and planned uh, counseling session with every single senior in my company, right? So hmm. specifically, it was like 26 or 27 of them this semester. It was all talk, focused around um, your, I mean, your self-awareness uh, as well as your readiness and potential for being an officer here in the future. And, and then I usually kind of culminate on a, on a very specific feedback conversation based on my perceptions of you and kind of think the data points that I have, this is um, what I'm, what, what my thoughts are, my feedback for you are that I want you to think on as you're moving towards being second Lieutenant Walters or Bowen, but I'd, I'd force them to you. They had to give me feedback too. And I didn't sit there and make it awkward, like think of it in the moment. I made them actually write it out beforehand and, and mm. provide it to me. So um, it was well thought out and we'd have the conversation about it. There's a lot of them where, Though I, I appreciate their perspectives, um, there's just like I, I get it, um, but there's just things that I'm trying to, to lead or to do or whatever that I just don't think you'd be able to kind of see um, or appreciate. I certainly wouldn't have as, as a senior still at that time. So mm-hmm. while receiving it, I, I don't think I necessarily followed up with every single person because I don't know if it necessarily was required to, but there were a few of them where I, I came back to them. And I was like, hey, Jack, I, I appreciate this, man. But I, just, I wanted to follow up and talk to you about this one. So I think there were a couple of them where I would, again, through my personal um, reflection kind of process, I figured, okay, if, if I don't internalize this and don't do something about this, is this going to look poorly to that person, right? And I think there were a lot of them, right? I, I don't know if it's going to be a huge deal for them. So I, I kind of took the risk and, and didn't address it further. Uh, but there were a select few of them where I would come back and follow up afterwards. I'm like, hey, hey, man, or, or hey, um, hey, Joe, like I, I got to talk about this one. I, while I appreciate what you said, I, I, while after thinking about it for a little bit, um, these are just kind of some of my thoughts. Man, so many just lessons I think we can pull from that is one, and your whole feedback discussion is people really don't care what you have to say until they know you care. That's kind of an old adage, but there's definitely some truth to that. I love your idea of show love first, start with love and and give this truth in love, Uh, filling in the self-awareness gap. We all have these blind spots. There's this, I think you have a, a great slide or a great picture in your blog that I don't remember the exact words you use, but it's this idea of our self perception, the way we think we are viewed and then how we actually are viewed. And that's the thing about blind spots. We all have them and we don't, we can't see them because they are true blind spots. So this helps us fill in those gaps and become more self-aware. You talk about creating that psychological safety, which I think goes back to that love aspect, that culture, that relationship. This is a relationship. It's not just this one on one thing. I think another point you made that I love is, especially as the leader, if you're going to ask for feedback, maybe be specific about asking for feedback. Hey, what's one thing that I could have done better Mm. that particular thing. I've noticed that with my podcast. Sometimes I'll ask people for feedback. I'm like, hey, what's what do you think about the podcast? Well, that's so almost so broad that people can't. But if I'm like, hey, what is one thing that I did well and what's one thing I can do better? I find that mm. people are more willing to give me feedback. And a critical point I think you made is our disposition when we receive f- feedback has to be one that welcomes feedback because what's rewarded is repeated. If you, mm. if you, if you don't respond well to feedback, you're not going to get feedback moving yeah. forward. I think I, it's, it's sometimes it's just so, so like, like subconscious. We don't even think about it um, and how we respond. So that's another thing. I think leaders just need to be super in tune with and, and thoughtful on 
okay, how do I respond in this moment? Because um, that's really critical. You were talking about the, the, the small details thing, and I, I didn't want to talk over you, Cal. I apologize. But um, it just made me think of like, I mean, you can even like create those the people to give you the feedback, like designate them, right? When you're talking about, hey, in this meeting, um, uh, I got like, for example, I teach a military leadership class to the, you, you know it as PL300. Um, but I teach military leadership class. And while we're at remote, I'm teaching it all online. Like I'm very much adapting and figuring out how to try to teach effectively online uh, versus in the classroom. So one thing I did is I, uh, I have a, a senior um, who's invested in it and she, she spends, she's willing to kind of spend some time attending my class, like voluntarily. She doesn't have to, but she's willing to. And so I, I, I kind of plant her in that class. Cause then afterwards I make her like, okay, she's going to attend with the intent of gathering feedback for me. Right. And then after that, I go talk and um, I ask her, okay, so, so give me the good, bad and the ugly. Right. And mm-hmm. so we, we have a very deliberate conversation on like, wow, while I saw what you were trying to do was this, it just, it didn't land well or whatever it is. So I, I think leaders can even do things like in a meeting or whatever, plant that yes. person um, for you and designate them as your, your feedback source rather than sometimes just waiting on asking somebody like, Hey, what feedback do you have? And I'm like, Oh, I, I don't know. Well, <laughs> this person at least knows that they are um, expected to give you feedback afterwards. Yeah. I think that's, I've seen this in other contexts too, where someone will have a plant, you'll, you'll have your team together and you'll ask for feedback and the plant starts the process. So you're able to model in front of your entire team. I'm mm-hmm. open to feedback. This person's giving me feedback and here I am showing them that I'm receptive to it. And then other people see, okay, this is a safe place to give feedback. So now I'm going to start to give him or her feedback. So all these practical tools, I think, all go back to this idea of feedback's important. We've got to figure out a great way to incorporate it into the culture of our organization. It fills in blind spots. It helps us become more self-aware. So if you want more on that, go check out the awesome blog series that he has on 3x5 Leadership, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Man, we, I wish we could, so we could talk all day about leadership. Unfortunately, we're, we're running out of time here. I'd love to f- just finish up here by asking if there's a book that you have perhaps gifted or maybe two books, whatever that, that have impacted you the most in your journey as a leader. I, uh, hmm. Okay. So I think both of the, I'm going to say two, I think both of these books definitely uh, are ones that like, there's two camps, like you love it or you don't. <laughs> And so I, I fully recognize that. I know that people are very passionate about their books and their authors and, and what's good or bad. And, and we're all shaped by the books we've read. So I'm, I'm okay with the fact that a lot of people might say like, hey, these are, these are not good recommendations. Um, but it's just two books that have really just shaped my leadership, man. Um, as, uh, first is uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People, right? I, I read that probably about almost three years ago now for the first time. And I just, I think, because, I think that gets the essence of intentional living, which is I mean, what yes. you talk about, right? And yeah. giving you those practical ideas uh, on how, not only ways of thinking, but then habits and behaviors to start, start with you first before you can kind of go with other people, right? So that, that book has just done so much for me and becoming super clear on who I am as a, as a man and as a Christian, as a leader, but again, I, I know it's not for everybody. Even my wife, she read it and she was like, eh, it's okay. So, so I accept that. And that's okay. But that, that, that's me. That. And then also, uh, I mentioned her a little bit earlier, but Brene Brown's uh, Daring Greatly book. I would probably say up until 
about 2016, I, I would have very easily said like empathy was probably like a weak point for mine. Uh, and my wife would have agreed. Um, but early on and like we were dating and then early on in our marriage, she kind of pushed, uh, encouraged me to read this book a couple of times. And I was just like, this seems ridiculous. <laughs> um, but after kind of about the third time, I was like, okay, baby, I'll, I'll read it. So I, I, I'll admit, and I tell her this all the time, and it's fine. Um, but I, I read it just to please her. Um, but like, Cal, that book changed my life, man. Just getting me comfortable with these ideas of being like vulnerable as a leader. And like what vulnerability is and isn't. And then just demonstrating empathy uh, and just really love for people, right? So um, those two books are really kind of go-tos for me, both in just what's impacted me and, and to who I am today, um, as well as some ones that I've definitely handed out to a number of people as recommendations, as well as to actually borrow. So That's so great. I love both of those books. Thanks for talking us through those and recommending them. Uh, Josh, if people want to connect with you further, what are the best places to connect with you and follow your work? Ooh. Um, so obviously the website uh, is pretty, pretty go to, so they can go to three by five leadership.com, which is like three X five. But from there on the, on the actual page, I got like kind of links I'm pretty uh, active on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram through those as well. But if they also want, I mean, people are free to email me at three by five leadership uh, at gmail.com anytime. Yeah. I think those are kind of probably the best ways to, to find out a little bit more. That's great. Well, keep up the great work, Josh. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your insights. I'm excited to watch and continue to learn from you. And uh, I hope, I wish you well during this COVID crisis for you, your loved ones and your cadets. Thanks so much, Josh, for coming on today. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, Cal. I'm humbled by the opportunity. Uh, I really respect what you're doing with the podcast. So, uh, I mean, keep up the great work for yourself too, man. I'm really impressed uh, by what you've been doing. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that, man. Hey, everyone on your way out. I just want to thank you again for joining us today. Thank you to Josh for giving us his insights for creating 3x5 Leadership. I really encourage you to go check out 3x5leadership.com incredible resources. Follow Josh, subscribe to the 3x5 Leadership emails. You will not be disappointed. I think probably my biggest takeaway from today's episode is a reminder that leadership is about love. It's about loving your people, loving your organization. I love the idea of feedback as well and how feedback is a critical aspect to improving people and improving your organization. I hope that you got a lot out of today's interview, let me know. You can send me an email, cal at calwalters.me, and let me know what you think. And I will definitely share that with Josh. Feel free to reach out to Josh as well, 3x5leadership at gmail.com. And I hope that the end to your 2020 goes really well. Certainly, again, 2020 did not turn out the way most of us anticipated. There is a lot to look forward to in 2021. I am excited to connect with you and learn with you and grow with you and hopefully make an impact on our spheres of influence, our families, our organizations, our teams, and in ourselves. And I hope that you will go and, and take a little bit of time to rest at the end of this year and come back ready to tackle 2021. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Remember, life is short. Let's make it count.